He's worthy. Hallelujah. It is a beautiful thing to rest in the hands of an awesome, sovereign, good God. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians as we continue in our Walk Worthy series. We are in chapter 5. Praise the name of Jesus. When you got to say so. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor, jest, nor, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Father, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you, Jesus, for setting us free, God, and for allowing us the privilege to hear from you, allowing us the privilege to worship in your glorious and beautiful presence, God. We thank you for your mercy, God, and we pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts Lord God, that you would reveal yourself unto us, Lord God, in deeper ways and that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it, Lord God. Let us live the truths that we're here today. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you don't have an outline. We want to make sure that everyone has an outline. Praise the Lord. We have a couple of hands. One hand, two. There we go. We got two hands. I want to make sure you get those outlines so that way you can discuss and connect, so you can take notes throughout the sermons. You can follow along in the introduction of the message. I want to make sure that you get those. Keep your hands up if you don't have an outline so the ushers can see you. Praise the name of the Lord. All right. Glory to God. And also, is there anyone, I like doing this every week, how many of you have memorized our memory verses? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, show your hands, raise them up. Glory to God. The number is getting bigger. Glory to Jesus. Does any one of those hands that was raised want to come up here and lead us in the memorization of the verse? Oh, come on now. Did Ricky say he wanted to do it? Is that what happened? He, he, I, I. <laughs> All right. Does anybody want to do it? If not, I will lead. It doesn't matter to me. If no one wants to do it, it's okay today. 
Glory to God. You want to do it, Isaiah? Come on up here. Let's do it, buddy. So y'all don't want to do it? I'll do it. I think we're good. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Good job. Good job. All right, let's all say it together. One, two, three. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so that is our memory verse because that is what I, what, what I feel is the heart of where we want to be in our lives as believers. And as we're going through this book is where the Apostle Paul transitions from the position of just communicating to us what it is that God has already done and then sharing with us what it is that we need to be doing. Hence the title of this series, Walk Worthy, because we are called to walk worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ. And so we'll continue on in this series. You can follow along with me in the outline here. And as we continue in our Walk Worthy series, we must discipline ourselves to keep in mind all that God has done for us. In these, in, in these last three chapters filled with the commands of God, it is easy to become overwhelmed with the commands as the standard is raised very high and forget all that we learned in chapters one through three. And so I said we have to discipline ourselves because it is very easy for us to become overwhelmed with what we have to do or what we cannot do. And as I, and, and, and as I was sharing with the men on Friday, it is very important that we go from the place where our um, Christian responsibilities go from being duty to being delight. And so we go from the place where it's that I have this list to do and all these things that I have to do becomes very difficult and something that is overwhelming. And sometimes we become taken by those things rather than being overwhelmed by the truths that we learned in chapters one through three. And so it's important for us to discipline ourselves and our meditation on the scriptures that we don't forget. And I don't want you to forget about what you're called to do because it's important to know what you're called to do. But I think that it is even more important for you to remember continuously what Jesus has already done so that way you live out of that place, not going to that place because Jesus already did it on the cross. So for us, it's important for us to discipline our minds and our hearts that way. And so it's important that we learn in this second paragraph here in your outline that we learn to hollow, adore, magnify the Lord and his beauty, his grace and his mercy toward us, and then commit to obedience based on his work, his will, and his power operating in us. When we meditate on what Jesus has already done for us, what begins to happen is as we hollow our God, as we worship our God, as we adore our God, as we rehearse in our minds and our hearts, what Jesus has already done, we are reminded of the will of God. We are reminded of our new identity in Christ. We are reminded that it is not by might nor by power, but it is by his spirit that is working in and through us that we are able to obey God. So we don't depend on the arm of the flesh, but we depend on the spirit of God. And so we want to do those things. And today we will continue to look at what is expected of us based upon what we have already received from the Lord. And remember this, God never asked us for anything he hasn't already given us. 
He doesn't ask you to give him anything that he hasn't deposited in you. He doesn't ask you to do anything he hasn't empowered you to already do. When you read the word of God and God is commanding you and speaking to you those commands at the same exact moment and the same exact breath and the same exact thought, the spirit of God is speaking the power of his spirit in us so that we can obey him. And so he gives us what he wants us to do. And as we're reminded in the Old Testament in the building of the temple, as Solomon was praying, he reminds, or as he's saying this prayer, he's like, God, everything that we've given you has only been what you have given us first. And so we remember that and we continue to look that way in the scriptures here that we're looking at today. We'll be reminded of what we're called to do. But just remember, God deposited his grace in you. He deposited his power in you. He deposited his ability within you and has given you this new life so that way you can walk in obedience to his word. So the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. We are to imitate God until our behavior reflects him. The title of the message today is Imitate Until. And so we're going to talk about three things that I see in here that we should imitate. But the first thing we're called to is to imitate God until our behavior reflects him. And when we think about imitation, the word imitate here in the Bible is the word mimitis in the Greek. And it really is where we get our English word to mimic. And so when I think, when I first read the word, I thought about the word mime. And I'll never forget, um, years and years ago, I went, when I was youth pastoring, I went to a youth pastors and, and, and youth ministers conference. And I remember in that conference was the first time that I ever saw a mime that was performed. And it was a, a, a group of, they were called the mime boys at the time. And they were like the only people that I knew of that were doing mime. And so they did this mime. And they did this song that was a familiar song by Donnie McClurkin. And it's called Stand. And so, you know, you guys know that song. Some of you may have wept through that song and things of that nature as you're going through difficult things. Well, I wasn't going through anything difficult in my life. I was just going through a con- going to a conference. I wanted to, you know, just experience some, you know, new truth, be refreshed. And I will never forget when these young men began to mime this song, what happened is it like turned a switch on and I had never cried before the song. I had never listened to the song that long. Hello. Right? I had never listened to the whole thing. But at, as they were miming the song, it's like the words came to life. The words that were being communicated in this song came to life, and before you know it, everybody in the room, including myself, were boo-hooing. Some people were on their face on the floor, and they were just being encouraged to just stand in the will and in the power of God. And, that, and, 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 and there was that encouragement that came, but it was not just the song. It was those who were performing this mime, and what they did was they brought life. And see, what we have to realize is that as we mimic God, as we imitate God, what we are literally doing is we are giving giving life to the scriptures that we hold so dear. We are giving life to those scriptures before those people who they don't really want to hear about church, to those people that they're not going to pick up a Bible. They've heard certain things, but when they see you and I mimic God, when they see you and I literally play out what the word of God teaches, all of a sudden there is a life that comes and is experienced through those through through our lives under the people who desperately need to see the revelation of God, who desperately need to be impacted by him. And so we're called, the first thing that Paul says in the beginning of chapter 1 is to imitate God as dear children. And then he goes on to say something else. And, and, and Paul, you know, he messes me up, man. It's bad enough that he says, be, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. And so we know the first thing is what? That God is love. And so we should walk in love. But then he goes and he says this. He doesn't just say imitate God. He doesn't just say walk in love. He puts this word as, say as. You see, as brings this comparative thing, and now all of a sudden, it's not just walk in love how you think love should be, but he says walk in love as Christ. 
See, the standard is raised a little bit higher, and all of a sudden we're called to this higher standard of love. And he didn't just leave it there, but he gives us some description. He says, as Christ, as, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And so he says to give ourselves in this way, to imitate God the Father, to walk in love the way that God is, and to love one another, to love in life in general, to live this way the same way that Jesus did. And so he calls us to imitate him, to imitate Jesus, to walk like Christ. And so we are to imitate God until our behavior reflects him. Because here's the thing that I realize is that my imitation of God is not perfect. Hello. Right? And, 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 I've, and I've hung around with some of you, and I can encourage you, and don't be offended, but your imitation of God is not always perfect either. I'm just saying. Right? And so I think that that's how we should communicate with each other maybe. Instead of saying, man, why are you being a jerk? Just be like, yo, your imitation of God is a little off right now. Yo, why are you being so foul-mouthed? Not, you know, your imitation of God is a little bit off right now. You know, man, the, the thing you want to do, right? I think that, that that's an encouraging way, right? Just be like, man, I don't know, bro. Your imitation of God is a little off because we're called to imitate, right? And so I realized this, that I'm called to imitate God. I'm called to be like Jesus. I'm called to do this. But here's what I realized, that the more that I discipline myself to imitate, to act like, to really live by that, you know, that old saying, I mean, I started a long time ago, that what would Jesus do? Like, that should be a real mindset for us, really considering what would Jesus do in this situation? Despite what I'm feeling, despite what I'm thinking, despite what I really and my heart of hearts want to do, what I need to do is do what? Do what Jesus does. Now, if we can just be honest for a moment, have you ever done what you know God wants you to do, but you wasn't feeling it? Okay, so we got a couple people that have been like that, right? That you've been in a situation where you really wanted to do a, but you did B, right? You, you really were thinking this, and, you, and those things came to your mind, but instead you said the, or didn't say anything, right? And, so, though, and what you were doing was you were mimicking or you were imitating God at that moment. But you know what begins to happen? The more that we imitate God, the more that we mimic God, then what happens is our, our behavior begins to change. And listen, y'all know better than you know, this behavior modification deal. That is not what I'm into. I don't believe in that. I believe there's repentance and faith. You put your faith in Jesus. You trust him. He changes your heart. But here's what I do know is that a way that we sanctify ourselves, when the Bible says to deny yourself, by, by default, when you are denying yourself, you're accepting the will of something else. That's what you're doing. And so when Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, he is telling us that we are to not do the things that we want to do, the things that may come naturally to us, those old habits from that old nature and that old man that want to rise up inside of us. And so we're called to imitate our God and allow him to change our behavior to where I don't think that way any longer. To where I don't, to where my immediate knee-jerk reaction isn't A, but it is B. And see, two things happen. Number one, the world begins to see a picture of the image of God, the, the, the revelation of who God is. But B, your heart, my heart is changed as we imitate him in those areas. It's been said that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And so when you think about your children, I mean, how many parents in here, you want your children to imitate you in the good stuff? 
I never forget driving in the car, and you know, when I'm driving, I'm vocal. I don't curse in the car, but I'll say stuff like, there's a gas pedal right there on the right-hand side, right? Like, hello, can you, you know, or I'll say, I'll say stuff. And one day, my daughter was probably like four years old, and she was, we were sitting at a light, and someone didn't move, and I happened to be looking at something else, and all of a sudden, she comes out, and she's like, there's a gas pedal on the right. I was like, oh, okay, I need to cut that out, right? Glory to God. Because she was imitating what she was seeing. You know, it's embarrassing if our children, you know, start to do stuff and then, you know, because people always say, man, look, your kids, they're just a reflection of you. We know that's true, right? And in and, and some scenarios, I mean, obviously, you know, kids do their own thing, but a lot of times, you know, kids start saying stuff, you, they start acting certain ways and you're like, man, where'd they get that stuff from? Well, oh no. Look in the mirror. But we do want our children to imitate us in the good things. We want our children. Yesterday, um, my daughter, I was, I, was, I was doing something in the bathroom, and my son, you know, he, he just wanted to be where I was. And, and he's, my son is pretty amazing. He's real short, but he's quick. And I'm, in, I'm, I'm leaning over the bathtub, and I'm trying to fix something, you know, fix the drain. And he's standing behind me, and within like three seconds flat, homeboy is in the bathtub, right? He is with dad, right, and just, just making a mess. I didn't want him to imitate me at that moment. But, you know, thinking about this as I continue to, you know, as he continues to grow up, I want him to want to do stuff that I'm doing. Like, you know, when dad is cleaning this or he's doing those things, I want my son to want to help. It's funny because usually what happens is your kids want to help you until you need them to help you. Y'all heard me when I said that, right? <laughs> Your kids want to help you until you need them to help you. Like they want to sweep when you, you know, they're, they're little. They want to be all up in the mix. They want to vacuum. They want to take out garbage. They want to wash the car. They want to do it all. And then you're like, okay, they're kind of in the way. But then when they get a little older, you're like, hey, can you vacuum? Oh, no, I got to do something else. Can you, you, you want to come help me? Not, not really, right? And so you, you, anyway, glory to God. But we want our children to imitate us, right? That, that's, that, 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 that flattery thing that's there. Well, the Bible tells us that we are supposed to worship God, right? And worship is not just songs that we sing. That is a part, but it is when we are imitating him that our greatest worship comes out. When we are being like him, when we are obeying the scriptures is when the imitation comes out. And so the foundation for our imitation of God is what? It is the love of Jesus. God's love compels us to imitate him. So he shows us what the foundation is. The foundational thing is, man, I want to imitate God because of what? Well, primarily, it is because of the love of Jesus, because of what Jesus did for me. And so the second thing here is that the Apostle Paul helps us to understand what doesn't look like God and what doesn't reflect the sacrificial love of God. And so we'll keep reading in this portion of Scripture here. It says, but fornication... And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. And so the first thing he goes on is he says this, and I, and I want you to realize how high the standard is raised here. In my version, it says that let those things not even be named among you. And in another version, it says let that not even be a hint among you. And so, in other words, there should be none of this. Now, now church, I want you to think honestly for a moment about the church in general. Do you, do you ever hear of these things among the church, like fornication? uncleanness, covetousness, right? We hear these things. And so that means that probably we weren't really reading this part of Scripture, right? That's why those things are there. People weren't paying attention. People weren't really saying, okay, God means this when he says, and we're going to get into some reasons why he communicates this, which I think would cause a little bit more fear as well. But here's the reality. He's saying that this should not be even a hint among us. Now, this is difficult because in our day, what sells? Sex sells. You want to sell beer? Well, get some girls to go and do some, you know, wet T-shirt contest somewhere. Hello? 
This is what happens. Well, you know, you want to sell this thing over here, so you're going to, you know, you're going to promote the sexuality like those girls are going to go dance somewhere for you when you go buy that beer, right? Something like that's going to occur. And so what happens is this is what sells. So the, the truth of the matter is, you know, when you sit down, you're going to be, if you're going to really not let a hint of fornication, and that word fornication is the word pornea in the Greek, and that word can just mean any illicit sex outside of marriage, right? Anything outside of marriage, any sexual activity out of marriage. So that would be adultery, bestiality, any, and, and any type of sex that is not within the marriage confine, right? That is what he's talking about here. And so for you to be honest, for me to be honest, if I'm going to have no hint of that, well, I'm going to have to check the movies I'm watching. I'm going to have to check the, 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 television, the television shows. Forget the movies. I'm going to have to check the television shows that I'm watching. I'm going to have to check those things to see, man, do these things give a hint? Because it's not just when we come together. It is when we are individually by ourselves. Are these things among us? So what we have is we have this issue that we need. I mean, this is a high standard that's here. Now, do you think that that's an outdated standard? Do you think that that's an impossible standard? I think it's a definite need for us to be disciplined if we're going to meet the standard. We're going to have to say no to our flesh a lot. There's going to be a lot of movies you're going to have to say, man, I didn't see that. Why? Well, there was some sexual stuff in there. There was some humor in there. We'll get into that in a moment. There were, there were some things in there. Shouldn't even be a hint. And, and so when you look at this fornication, you look at uncleanness, those things seem to go together, right? But then what about the covetousness? How do, how do, how do those three go together? Why are those categorized together? Well, because all three of them are the same thing. They are desires that are not godly. It is wanting things that are not yours, wanting things that you don't need to have. And he says, those things, so you want sex outside of marriage, you want sex that is not God's way, you have thoughts that are not God's way, you have desires that are not God's way, and this covetousness becomes our greed, which he talks about later on, being covetous. And so we have these mindsets, these things that are opposed to the love of God because Jesus lived his life. And you could say Jesus is the Savior, right? But you can't say Jesus is the fornicator. Hello. Say Jesus is the Savior, but you can't say Jesus is the unclean person. You can't say that, can you? You can say Jesus is the Savior, but you can't say Jesus is covetous because Jesus laid his life down. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways, all points, just like we are, and yet without sin. And so we're supposed to be imitators of God who is holy, who is pure, who is righteous. And Paul shows us this first part of this list. He goes on in verse 4. He says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And so he goes on. He says, these first things, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, those things shouldn't be named among you. He says, filthiness, right? Filthiness in thoughts, foolish talking. Talking that's not just foolish, but talking that is sinful, that leads to sinfulness, just foolish conversation. Those things shouldn't be there. And then coarse jesting, coarse joking, you know, making jokes that are derogatory, mean, like, like speaking to people in ways, that, you know, being facetious. I think that was the word that was there. Like those types of things. He's saying those things shouldn't be there. Like that's not fitting for us. That shouldn't be among us, but we should be a people that are giving thanks. 
of people who are giving glory and honor to God and all that we do. As a matter of fact, our conversation, our action, our recreation, all of those things should lead to what? It should lead to the reflection of God in our lives, the glorification of God through our lives, and so other people can see him and look at him. But if I am, if I am participating in all of these other things, then guess what happens? All of those things are not occurring. God is not being honored. He's not being glorified. He's not being imitated. People are not being drawn to him. We're giving bad examples. And so he goes on to tell us the reasons why we should not do these things. The first thing that he shows us here is that it's not fitting. I love this, what one writer wrote. He said, when he says it's not fitting, he says what's not proper, literally beneath you. See, those things, fornication, uncleanness, all of this ungodly talking, all of those things, covetousness, those things are beneath us. Because we are children of God who have been delivered from that nature. We have been set free from those desires. We should not be living that way. We should not be living according to those things because those things are not fitting. But the other reason that he gives, which I think is pretty huge here, if you look at verse 5, this is the one that I said that maybe they should have read down a little bit longer. He says, for this you know. Now look, pause for a moment. Because Paul is telling them, you know this. Why do you know this? Because I've already told you this. Because I've already preached this to you. And you know what? I could say the same thing because I know what I preach. I know what people preach from this pulpit. And there is no fluff that comes out. And so you know these things the same way that they know this. And so he goes on and he said, for you know, for this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So he's saying, listen, if you are participating in these activities, don't deceive yourself. And he says that in the next verse. He says, don't lie to yourself and don't think, well, hey, man, it's all good. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm saved by grace, not by works. I'm, I'm, I'm saved by the work of Jesus, not by my works. And Paul says, you know this. And so if you are participating in these activities, then you know what? You don't, don't, don't think that you have this inheritance that I just talked about for three chapters. Don't think the inheritance that you, because you're, you're not storing up for yourself this glorious inheritance, but you're storing up for yourself wrath in the day of judgment. So he says to them, number one, it shouldn't be hinted among you because it is beneath you. It is something that you should not be. It's something that you should not be participating in. But the second reason is because if you are participating in this, then you do not have an inheritance. So you have either one. You have all your fun in this earth, and then eternity is horrible. Or you say no to yourself. You say no to your sin. You say no to your desires. You say yes to God. You imitate God. You do the things that honor him. And then you experience a glorious and wonderful eternity. See, too many people have believed or been deceived by the lie of cheap grace, believing that our imperfection is somehow an excuse to live unholy lives. Here's the thing. The gospel is filled with power to both save us and enable us to be imitators of our God and Father and walk worthy of his calling. Look what he says in this next verse. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, with words that have no power, with words that are not filled with truth. For because of these things, speaking of those things that we just talked about, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And the way that verse 7 is written in the Greek is it doesn't say, therefore, do not be. It says, stop partaking with them. 
He says, stop partaking with them. Because what? Because of what I just asked you a couple of moments ago. Because people are people. Because people are sinful. And you know what? They will hear a message that makes them feel good and feel like there's no responsibility. There's no accountability. I can do whatever I want to do because the grace of God is sufficient. That is cheap grace, church. And they think it's okay. And Paul says, let no one deceive you. And so I encourage you and admonish you. The same way the apostle Paul does to the church of Ephesus. Let no one deceive you. Don't ever sit down and feel like, well, you know what? I'm good. I can live how I want to live because Bishop said he's imperfect. So I can just live unholy. That's not truth. That is not what I'm communicating. That's not what should be felt from you. When I say I'm imperfect, all I'm saying is I depend on the gospel. I depend on the work of Jesus. I depend on the Holy Spirit. I am man just like you. All I want to do is make sure you know that, but I don't ever want you to think that that's a ticket for you to say, well, hey, man, I'm just imperfect, so that's okay. No, that attitude's not okay. Why? Because it doesn't imitate God. Those actions are not okay. Why? Because they don't imitate God. Because they don't point, they don't point others to him. They don't point others to the Savior that died for us, the one who lived this sacrificial life. And so it's important for us. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone make you feel like you could just live how you want to live because God doesn't want you to experience eternity separated from him. Amen? Amen. Second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we are to imitate God until his light shines through us. We are to imitate God until his light shines through us. And we'll read verses 8 through 13. It says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. He doesn't say to us that we have light. He says that we are light. So we are to imitate God until his light shines through us. In other words, we just need to be consistent light bearers. We need to be those who are living our lives, imitating God, so that way what? So that way the light of God will penetrate our life or penetrate through our lives, exude through our lives, and will penetrate the lives of others so that way they will be able to recognize their sin. Now, here's the thing. We are reminded here that our imitation of our God is because of who we are in the Lord. Say, in the Lord. See, I'm not light outside of the Lord. I am light in the Lord. It is because he illuminates my life that I am able to be an illumination to the lives of others. I don't have a light all by myself. There's a problem because there's a source, and it is Jesus who is the light of the world. But he goes on, and he communicates. Our God declares himself to be light. He says that he's the light of the world. But Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5 that we are the light of the world. So here's the deal. We must determine to walk as light. We must determine that we are going to live as light as we live and we walk with Jesus. But here's the thing. We will never be able to emanate the light of the gospel if we are not living in the light of the gospel. 
The light of the gospel will never manifest through our lives if we are not living in this light, if we are not experiencing this changing, this this revelation of God, if we're not sitting down with him. See, it is as we spend time in the light of God's presence, before the light of his word, that we find out. And that word, when he says to find out what the will of God is, he's literally saying that you will be able to test, to know what the will of God is, what is acceptable to the Lord. See, what happens is when I am in the presence of God, when I am before the word of God and the light of the gospel is shining and penetrating through my life, what God is doing is he is showing me two things. He is showing me, one, what is unacceptable to him. He is revealing those attitudes, those thoughts, those decisions, those desires that are unacceptable to him because they don't align with his word. And simultaneously, he is showing us what is acceptable to him. He is revealing to us, but that only happens through what? Through time in his presence, through time with him, by allowing him to reveal himself to us. Now, here's the thing. I want you to get this because this is so very important for us because, you know, a lot of us, you know, we operate in this love and we think about loving those who don't know Jesus. And, you know, we learn sayings like, you know, love the sin. I mean, love the sinner, not the sin, right? Those are good concepts that we should have. But we find ourselves in situations among non-believers trying to live the life that glorifies and honors Jesus. And what happens to us is that we will find ourselves what? We find ourselves tempted sometimes not to speak truth because we don't want to offend someone. Well, we want the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to their life. And I've said this before, and I want to make this crystal clear. I don't believe that you should try to clean the fish before you catch the fish, right? In other words, don't try to make someone a Christian before they give their life to Jesus. That does not work. That's not something that is, that, that, that's real. That's not something that is functional. And so what we have to realize, though, is that it says this. He said, this is Paul's words. These are not my words. The apostle Paul is making it abundantly clear of what should happen to us. He says it. Look at verse 11. He says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, have no fellowship with those who don't know Jesus. It isn't what he said. He said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, he's not telling you, go be a hermit somewhere, go lock yourself up in a room, and never get around unsafe people again. That's not what he's communicating. What he is saying is, do not participate in the activities they're participating in the way that they do it. In other words, when you go to a magic game, hello, don't walk out of there needing a designated driver. I'm just saying. That's an example. Go to the magic game. No one's saying don't go to the magic game. If you want to have no hint of ungodliness when the cheerleaders get on the stage, look to the right or look to the left. Talk to your friend. Hello. I'm just saying, have a real conversation. Don't be acting like you're looking at something else, but you're looking at something else. Uh-huh. Just saying. Be that godly person, right? Be that righteous person. I'll never forget, we had just finished doing the study and, 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 and that, what was the name of the book? Every Man's Battle. And we went to a magic game. And I promise you, it was the most amazing picture. We had a row of guys. And every single guy, as soon as the magic cheerleaders came out, we were all on each other, like, boom, having a conversation. Nobody looked that way. We made sure we weren't doing it. Because what? Because we understood the holiness of God in this area. And so he's saying, do not, do not participate in fruitful works of darkness. He says something else. He says, but rather, say, but rather. He says, expose them. Now, listen, I know y'all are not going to like this, but that word expose there, it doesn't just mean just to turn on a light. It literally means to convict them. Oh, I know you didn't want to hear that. Convict them. So, so, so what does that mean? Does that mean that I get on, get, get on, get on like some kind of soapbox and start telling people that are not saved about all this? Is that what that means? 
<laughs> Glory to God. What that means is this. It means that as I say no to sin, as I live my life for the glory of Jesus, there is going to come an opportunity in which I can communicate with someone as to why I don't participate with them. And I need to be unashamed when I communicate that. I need to be unashamed to look to the right at a magic game sitting next to someone who's unsaved. And while they're steady looking at the stage down there while people are doing their thing, I'm looking at them and they're wondering, man, why are you not looking down there? Because I don't want to. I shouldn't feel bad about stuff like that. I shouldn't feel bad about walking in holiness and not participating in certain things. I shouldn't feel bad about that. Because if I'm living as light, I mean, do you think God feels bad about turning the lights on in your life? You think he feels bad about letting someone know, man, that's sin. I don't like that. He doesn't have a problem with that. Now, here, this, this is what I don't think we should do, is that we shouldn't go around telling people, hey, man, you shouldn't curse around me because I'm holy. Hey, man, you can't listen to that music around me because I'm holy. When I sit in your car, you got to turn that down. Hello. Right? I, I, just, I just don't think that that's what is, what, what is occurring here. I think that as we don't participate with these things, and here's the deal. The thing is that as we live in the light, not participating in sin, the sin of unbelievers will be exposed and there will be conviction. It is our calling to be light without apology, but with grace. I never forget driving with my cousin, and, I, and I, I didn't tell her to turn off her radio in her car. I had just gotten saved. It was probably like two years of me being a Christian. And I remember she drove with me in the car, and she was, and I didn't, she never told me this. She told my sister this. She was like, man, I just, I, have, I can't be around your brother. And she was like, why? She's like, I don't know, man. I just feel so uncomfortable around him. And I promise y'all, I was not like, yo, cuz, you're going to hell because of this, this, and I was not doing any of that stuff. My conversation changed. My life had changed. My desires had changed. Things had changed about me. And that brings conviction to people's lives. And so at those moments, what do you do? Well, when you find out about it, I didn't find out about it. I would have communicated the gospel to her, clearly. But when you find out about those things, you communicate that good news of the gospel, which is the next point that we'll get to. The third thing, say this after me. We are to imitate God until the dead are brought to life. We are to imitate God until the dead are brought to life. Verse 14, it says this. It says, therefore, he says, this is speaking of God, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 13, I just want you, to, want, want you to read that. It says, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. And so he's saying here, the natural recourse, the natural occurrence that is going to happen is that if you and I are being light, the sin is going to be exposed. That's what's going to happen. But God wants us to shine brightly, not until people are convicted, but even beyond that. He wants us to shine brightly. He wants us to make sure. See, here's where your light continues to shine, is when you confront someone because of their sin, and they bring it to your attention, and you have this conversation, and you still love them past that. See, that's when this light begins to shine the way that God wants it to until other people come to life. And so what is this scripture here that he's quoting? Well, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1 when he says, Awake you who sleep. Who's asleep? Well, let's go, let's go further to see what he's talking about. Arise from the dead. You remember chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses. So when he's talking to dead people, is he talking to the church? Say no. No. 
Christians are not dead in their trespasses. Hello. Christians are alive in Christ. Amen. Glory to God. We should know that. We should rejoice in that, right? So when he's talking, when, he, when he's quoting this scripture, what Paul is doing is he is simply saying, arise, you who are sleeping. Arise, you who are dead. And what? And he said, and Christ will give you light. He's not just talking about Jesus turning on the light of their sin, but he's talking about Jesus turning on the light for their salvation. He's talking about Jesus communicating this. And so this portion of the chapter closes with a quote from Isaiah 60 and verse 1. As an invitation to unbelievers to be saved from their sin, delivered from the darkness, and be made beloved children of God and children of light. And so as the conviction of sin occurs through the light of our lives as we imitate God, we must not lessen the sting of that conviction. Please hear me when I say that. Don't try to make excuses for holiness. Don't try to make excuses for the conviction that comes upon someone's life. Don't try to lighten something because someone, no, 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 because they feel uncomfortable. Let them feel uncomfortable. Listen, before I gave my life to Jesus, I felt very uncomfortable. I knew I was going to hell. I knew at that time I had a I believed in a, in a rapture that was going to happen before, you know, the, the whole tribulation. And so, you know what? I was afraid. I was like, man, if that happens, guess what? I'm staying. I was very uncomfortable. And you know what? My grandmother, my mom, none of them tried to make excuses for me. You know what they did? They pointed me to the solution. They pointed me to the solution. When the conviction of sin comes in. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is what? It is that all men sin. All men fall short of the glory of God. A result of that sin is what? Is that we will be judged and judgment is eternal. That you don't get another shot. There's no reincarnation. There's no hope after you breathe your last breath. The decision you made prior to that breath is the one that's going to carry you out throughout eternity. And so what that means is because God is good, because God is just, because God is holy, he has to judge sin. And so people will be judged. They will experience eternity separated from God. And if you don't know Jesus today, you are in that category. If you are not his child today, you are separated from God on your way to hell. And my heart and the person who brought you here or invited you, your mother, grandmother, someone else's heart is breaking for you. The truth is that that's the reality. That's the bad news of the gospel. But the beauty is this, is that Jesus died. What we read in verse 2 there. He died. He offered himself as a sacrifice. So what? So that way God could put our judgment on Jesus so that way we wouldn't have to experience eternal judgment, but we could experience eternal life. That's the beauty of this. But see, someone has to know that they need this Savior, and they will never know that until they are confronted directly with the holiness of God and the wretchedness of their sin. And until they understand that, they're not going to come to Jesus. Jesus is a cool guy who died. Jesus is a great example. Jesus is more than an example. He is a savior. He died in our place so that we could have this eternal life, so that we could be encouraged in our faith, and we could know, man, I can imitate God. I can be a light bearer. I can be a love bearer. I can be one who shares the truth of the gospel with other people. And the first thing that I got to do is commit to imitating God until my behavior reflects him. Until his light shines through us and until the dead come to life. It's as we imitate Jesus, living the gospel before the lost, faithfully communicating the full gospel message, that we will see the dead in their sins come to repentance and faith and brought to life in the Savior. And so my closing question is this, where is it that you need to imitate Jesus until? Where is it? Where is it? Is it your marriage? I want you to think about this. If you committed to imitating Jesus 
how awesome would your marriage be? Oh, but him. I don't care about him. Oh, but her. I don't care about her. When I tried to imitate Jesus, I didn't say try to imitate. I said imitate until. That's the key. Imitate until. Where is it? that? What about your workplace? Do you need to imitate Jesus in your workplace until? Oh, but those heathens I'm around, you're supposed to be around them. Oh, that boss that I have, yep, and that's the one that God put there. Amen, hallelujah. I don't know if God put him there. Look, don't, don't question all that right there. All authority is from the Lord, and so you are there, and so whatever, you, however you want to say it, they manipulate. It doesn't matter. Where is it that you need to imitate Jesus? So let me ask you this. What in your life doesn't reflect God? Maybe it's the way that you view sexuality. Maybe you're not pure in your sexuality. Maybe your language or your conversation doesn't reflect God. Maybe you're greedy. You hate offering time. You want to bounce when that occurs. You hate to hear about someone's needs because you ain't got enough for yourself. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the issue. You're not like God who is a giving God. Maybe you're an idolater. Maybe you have idols. How do I know if I have idols? Well, do you care about anything more than God? Do you think about anything more than God? Is there anything that comes before the Lord? Well, if there is, then there's an idol. And sometimes you're going to see in your life that there'll be something that'll be there first and then Jesus and that, and, there, and you're going to continue to battle that and have to repent of that sin and continue to say no to those things. But here's the thing. Some of you may just feel like, man, I'm so ashamed. I can't even come to God with my sin. The beauty of this is that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died to set us free from the power of sin. He died to give us this new life. He died so that we could enter into his presence. And we need to realize that his blood was enough. His power is enough. His grace is enough for us to trust him and for him to help us to imitate him and really become more like him. That's what we have to realize in this thing that we're, that we're talking about in imitating God. And I want you to just consider that again. Just consider that for a moment. What would our world be like if every Christian committed to imitating God? If you just said, you know what, from today on, I am committed to imitating God. My conversations with everyone are going to imitate God. The things I watch are going to imitate God. Yes, a lot of stuff is about to change in your life if you make that commitment. You're like overwhelmed right now. You're like, oh my goodness, it's okay, be overwhelmed. But know this. His grace is sufficient. So are you committed to imitating him? Stand to your feet and bow your heads with me. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Grab your neighbor's hand as we pray. Father, I thank you so very much for this day. I thank you so very much for each person that is in this place. I thank you so very much for the greatness of your love that you show us. And God, I thank you today because I realize that you are a good, loving, merciful God. And Lord, you call us to commit to you. You call us to imitate you, God. And so my prayer is that we would hear your word. 
I pray that even as we've looked into the mirror of your word, even as we have heard your gospel preach, even as we have heard your truth, and Lord, as we have been convicted by the truth of the word of God, Lord, I pray that we would respond with a yes and amen to you, God. I pray that we would repent of those things that do not bring honor to you, God, those things that do not bring glory to you, those things that are not an imitation of you. Daddy, please liberate our hearts from those things, God. Show us, my God, how to live righteous and holy, Lord God, for, before you, Lord Jesus. I pray, my God, that you would help us to be imitators of our God. And, Lord, that you would use our lives to extend light unto all of those who need it, God. Father, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your love. We trust you today. In Jesus' name, someone said, Amen. come on and give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Thank <laughs> you.